This is Youpreneur FM, the official podcast of the Youpreneur Mastermind Community, a place where no entrepreneur gets left behind in their pursuit of building a business they can be proud of. And now, and now, now. here's your host, serial entrepreneur and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Chris Ducker. Well, hello there and welcome to episode number 297 of Youpreneur FM, your one-stop shop for everything and anything you need to be able to build, market, and monetize a business based around you, your personality, your experience, and the people that you want to serve. I'm your host, Chris Ducker, and we've got a fantastic show planned for you today. And I mean a genuinely fantastic show. David Nyhill is on the show today to talk all about how to be funnier in your public speaking, in your presentation online, live video, YouTube videos, even on your podcast as well. It's a really good conversation. However, before we get cracking, just a quick reminder that Youpreneur FM is brought to you by the Youpreneur Mastermind community, the premier online community for entrepreneurs wanting to build a profitable, sustainable business based around their experience and those that they want to serve. Community members get exclusive access to our Acceleration Training Library, which includes everything you'll need to know to build, market, and monetize a successful business. And couple that together with our monthly mastermind calls, discounted tickets to our live events, and access to our enthusiastic, supportive member-only forums. And you've got everything you need to succeed. If you're serious about building the business of you, as I call it, and in the most rewarding profitable way possible, then you must join us. So be sure to head over to youpreneur.com today for more info. So myself and David today, like I said, going to be talking about how to inject more comedy, how to inject more fun into your presentations, whether you're doing them live on stage in front of hundreds and hundreds of people or whether it's just online through Facebook Live or Instagram Stories or whatever the case may be. It's important to be engaging. It's important to be funny. To be funny is not easy for everyone, however, and therefore I brought David onto the show to not only share his experience of, of why actually still to this day he hates public speaking, but he's a very good public speaker now and he's a funny public speaker, but also the story behind that and how you can become funnier and more memorable when it comes to your live presentations. Again, whether it's actually in person or online or in recorded format or whatever the case may be. It's a really enjoyable conversation. It's a fun one as well, as you can probably imagine, but it's also value bomb heaven. So get those notebooks ready. You're going to need them. Here's myself and Dave. So David, welcome to the show. Howdy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, sir. So I'm looking forward to this chat. We're going to talk all about being funny, um, which is, I think it's, a, you know, when we talk about public speaking and we talk about just building up your personal brand in general, I think being funny, being engaging is a plus. It comes easier to some people than it does others. Um, so let's dive in. Why do we need to be funnier? Or, or, or should I say, what are the advantages of being funny in our jobs? 
Yeah, I think it's a funny one because it and, and literally no pun intended. But if you call <laughs> yeah. it funny, people always get a bit nervous about it because funny inherently in people's minds has a risk attached to it. Like everybody can think of a moment where someone tried something funny or your boss called you into their office and they're like, come here, I got a great joke for you. And you're like, oh, God, no, leave mm-hmm. me alone. Right. And right. Kind of nearly go running. But if you think of it as humor and uh, all things funny are just a way to be a bit more engaging. And if, say you're out there sharing your message, you're sharing your story, you're speaking, you're in a meeting in any form of communication that anything humorous funny spikes people's attention spikes that level of dopamine and ultimately you grab and hold their attention a little bit longer um there's a line i like the end of laughter is followed by the height of listening mm. and i think that rings true to really say well the value of humor these days is to simply grab and hold someone's attention yeah i mean when i think of all of the public speakers that i have enjoyed seeing either live or even on online via video. When I think of those people um, and the messages that they have conveyed as a speaker to the audience or to the viewer, when it's been funny or one, you know, when they've made me laugh, it has enabled me to remember more of what they've shared. Do you find that that's kind of a universal trait? Yeah, a hundred percent. So it does it spikes that dopamine and and really does grab and hold your attention a wee bit. And funny enough, nobody had ever correlated all the world's leading TED talks for humor, uh, and it was simply because they didn't know how to do it. So actually, sadly, I had way too much time on my hands. And with a few friends, we went through <laughs> and we watched them all and correlated them all on how many times they make people laugh per minute. And sure enough, every one of the top talks has one thing in common that they are all funny and some of them are actually funnier on a laughs per minute basis than the funniest movies of all time which is pretty nuts so it was something that professional speakers and speakers who actually want to be paid like if you want to speak or share your message in some format fine you don't have to be funny but if you're going to get paid to do it there's pretty much an an unwritten rule or expectation there even from conference organizers these days to be like if someone is funny in the message they can deliver compared to somebody who isn't you're going to go with the funny one every time Mm, mm. i mean a lot of people though when, when we when we think about public speaking i mean it can be really scary really terrifying almost for a lot of people and they won't they won't just they just won't do it and i mean i guess if you're that dead set against it there's not much that you me or anybody else that does enjoy being up on stage can do or say to potentially well, here's a funny it. one for you i hate being on stage and i still hate it to this day but hang on, wait a minute, hold the horse. But you're okay, number one, you're a great speaker. I've seen clips of you. And number two, you're on stage a lot. I am on stage a lot. I hate it a lot. I sweat out a lot of clothes. I won't lie to you. I sweat out multiple shorts some days. I'm like, oh no, two speaking gigs in one day. I better have four shorts just in case. And I'm giving people the sweaty palm treatment all day long and I'm shaking like nearly an Irish salsa dancer. Uh, with any bit of paper that I hold in my hand with nerves before it. But what happened was, you know, I wish someone told me this when I started the silly idea I had with the book I was writing and the work I did, that that you may never, ever get over a fear of public speaking. And most people I met along the way that had a fear of public speaking, but were on stage and speaking, they didn't actually get over that fear of public speaking. They didn't conquer it. They didn't do all the things that people trying to sell you bits and pieces to overcome this fear and market it that way. They didn't. They just learned to manage it. 
Mm. And I think that's that's certainly what happened to me over time. And I just realized that the, the amazing doors that can open up and the cool things that can happen in your life just because of sharing your story with another group of people far outweighs the sweaty clothes that I have to go through and the mild like emotional trauma that I suffered before I get on stage. And it just it evens out like just the amount of mad things that can happen here where someone's like, hey, we want to fly you to France and pay you this amount of money and you're going to meet these amazing people that otherwise you never would have met. And all you have to do is open your mouth and talk. So it's kind of funny, especially in Ireland, where we're all the I, I think we're just inherently nearly even more scared of public speaking than any other nation I've come across. And it, we don't deal with it in school. We don't teach it in university and work. We hide from it. Um, so I think I'm the only one putting content out there talking around this from a position of, listen, I still hate this, but here's how we can do it. And if you want to be funny or that plays to your natural characteristics or you want to get a laugh and quick feedback from an audience, well, here's how we're going to do that, too. But it's not from a position where you see a lot in life where it's like, I used to be a TV anchor and everything I say is amazing. My <laughs> hair is amazing. My right. shoes polished. You can see your own face in them and you're just like, oh, God, it's very hard to relate to someone like that. So yeah. the only reason I put any of this out there in the end was like, listen, this sucks, but here's a way to get through it. And when you want to look awesome at it, you'll be able to do so. Now, you got a, a quite a quite an interesting story around to talk about how you actually started with this, because did you correct me if I'm wrong? Did you write a book and then start speaking or was it the other way around? Like, where's the story? Give us the, 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 the kind of the two minutes recap here because it's quite interesting. Yeah, thanks. So it was the worst plan I've ever had to, to get over. <laughs> I love the it way you started with that. I think that's great. <laughs> no, it, was, it was horrendous. Like it was one of those plans where your friends go, really? That's your plan? That's a stupid plan. So I was like, to try and get over a fear of public speaking, I decided to pretend to be a famous comedian from Ireland who just happened to be on tour in America <laughs> and get on stage in as many festivals and crashes of many events as I could as a comedian with no experience as a comedian for a year and document my pain. And I didn't think it was going to be that painful when I came up with the plan, but I'll tell you, it was. But it, it wasn't, I didn't come up with that plan solely on my own back. It was a, sadly a friend of mine suffered a severe spinal cord injury and um, all, it was over here in California and all his friends were kind of rallying to do charity events for him. And I said, well, why don't we do a comedy show, a charity fundraiser comedy show? I know this comedian. And my friend was like, well, yeah, that's a great idea, but you're going to host it. And so he didn't know that I was I was afraid of public speaking more than anything else in life. And I would have described it up to that moment as a crippling fear. When your friend is sitting there in a wheelchair looking at you and you might not walk again, all of a sudden a crippling fear is kind of put in perspective. So I was like, I didn't mm. want to look like an idiot for the show. So I just, the theory was that surely, like if you're into Malcolm Gladwell or 10,000 hours to make a master, all these rules that who are just really, really good or the best in the world at any any given topic. If you look at public speaking, surely it brings you back to comedians. So that was how this all came about. I literally just said, wait, I'm going to study comedians to get through this charity event. And it went so well that the main comedian was like, hey, do you want to open for me at this comedy club next week? And I was like, should I tell him I have no idea what I'm doing? Nah. And then I just <laughs> kept it going. So it was a year of me put myself through this, but realistically it became years and years as, as time went by. And then all of a sudden, if somebody, of course, asks you, to come speak in an event and you're now not very good at speaking anymore because you haven't been on stage in a while. It's a bit like football. If you haven't played in a long time, you're not so good when you get on the field. So you kind of have to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And so, um, okay, so yeah, but, that's been it. but then that, that, that led to the book following that, right? It did. Yeah. Well, I was dyslexic and I like, I can't write to save my life, to be honest. I'm sure, pretty sure I failed any English class I was ever in. So I was like, right, well, let me just 
kind of dictate what I'm going through here, maybe over a couple of slides and what I've learned interviewing and talking to all these comedians and what I've learned by guinea pig and this and myself very much inspired by kind of AJ Jacobs and Tim Ferriss and a lot of these guys who go deep into a topic and try and apply the 80, 20 principle and kind of find the shortcuts to learn the most, the fastest. And I, I put it out as a course actually on Udemy and I didn't want to tell any of my friends what I was doing. Cause I just quit my corporate job. I was very much gone down your, you road without knowing about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I put out the course and then a lot of people started taking it. And in course format, it gave me a chance to interact with them and go, mm. well, what makes sense? What doesn't? And then I continually changed it. And all of a sudden, there was like 10,000 people who had taken this course. And I hadn't even told anyone I'd made it or marketed it in any way. And I basically took everything that was there when it was as polished as I thought it could be based on everybody's feedback. And I had it transcribed. Uh, and then it just meant it a lot easier to start the process of writing a book when you're staring at like 50,000 words that are already in your own voice. Because trust me, I tried to dictate. It was like me shouting a dragon dictate in an Irish accent going, God damn you, dragon dictate. That's not what I said. Uh, so the book was born out of the course and my own experience. And, and both the course was kind of born from talking to... So it's certainly hundreds, if not thousands, I'd say definitely hundreds who were very good at giving feedback throughout the process and what made sense to them. So mm -hmm. what I was able to learn that made sense to them and they were also able to apply and reproduce quickly. Yeah, and the book was born out of that kind of natural progression. I like that. I mean, that's very much along the same lines as what, or rather with how Rise of the Upreneur came about as well, because that's exactly... Um, what was going on behind the scenes where we were kind of taking a little bit of a content audit and and looking at what we were missing inside of uh, inside of the Upana community and it was it was very eye opening to me when we saw the gaps like you say you get the feedback right from the people that are actually in there taking the content or going through the content and when we did that um it, it was so obvious that there were all these little gaps and holes everywhere. So we plugged them up. And at the very same time, we noticed that, holy crap, this is like a book. <laughs> this yep. is a genuine book, like ready and waiting. Um, and the nice thing is with the book, it's too late when you do that. Because you've like, listen, I polished it up. I put it out there. Here it is. Consume it. And they're like, oh, this was kind of okay. But there was some stuff missing. I would have liked to have this. And with the course, it's very easy to jump in, fill that, retest and iterate. And a book, as you know, that's quite a process when you're editing and rearranging and messing around. So for me, it just made sense. I was like, oh, this way I get to chat to people. I get to raise the money I need to hire a, a world-class editor if I want and a book cover designer if I want. And that way I'm not under that much pressure right. to sell the book to a publisher to get the money back. And at the same time, you're like, and now I have a huge group of people actually because I had no email list whatsoever who might be interested in reading the book that they can, their wisdom help produce. So mm. yeah, it helped me jump into entrepreneurship and jump over a few stumbling blocks and kind of, you know, test stuff on a group of people that I wouldn't have been able to get myself, I don't think. So it just, I got lucky with the timing of Udemy was a platform at the time and they were growing hungry for content and they had nobody else with a course similar to mine at mm. the time. Mm. Well, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of luck every now and then. That's, that's fine, right? Um, okay. All right. So let's dive into some sort of genuine help here then for people that are tuning in i mean you know the upanum you know listener quite well they are public speakers they're also coaches and consultants and content creators online so people like you know youtubers and and podcasters authors you know that 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 kind of mob um if if this is something that we're wanting to genuinely do or do more of in regards to public speaking and getting our message out there 
you know, and, and actually, I think, I don't know whether public speaking is the right term anymore because, I mean, there's so many people producing video content where they're, they're doing the same thing to a certain degree, right? I mean, I think we can just say speaking slash presenting in general here uh, to make it a little bit more uh, broader of, of a episode for everyone. What- and it's funny that public speaking is such a made-up term anyway, right? Like somebody <laughs> just literally invented that and it to scare people. And they come up to you and they're like, oh, do, do you speak? Do you ever speak? And you're like, well, I definitely do. Yeah, do you ever speak in public like to other people? And you're like, oh, yeah, no, I've definitely done that. Do you want to public speak? You're like, oh, God, no, no. Right. And right. so many of those words together. So, yeah, it's funny. It has, I think you're very right that it has such more uh, wider reaching implications than just standing up on stage and shouting at people. Well, it certainly does for the Youpreneur crowd, that's for sure. Because, I mean, we are we are building a business based around us and our personality and our experience, right? So, you know, it is YouTube videos, it is Facebook Live, it is Instagram stories, and yes, it might actually be live from stage at events and conferences as well. So I think just presenting in general is probably the way to go here. How can we start to kind of how can we start to input and insert more comedy, more fun uh, and more laughs into what we're doing with our presentations? Give us a few solid takeaways here from maybe from the book and just from experience and things like that. Yeah, sure. From experience, I would say number one thing you can do to harvest and help create great content for this that you're going to come back to time and time again is get on your smartphone, open it up and write funny story file or funny stuff and then continuously add to that at the moment. Every time you overhear something wacky or you see an ad that triggers a reaction in you or you hear a story or share a story that you're like, oh, I totally forgot about that, write it down. Number one thing. So funny content creators, amazing public speakers and comedians have that advantage on the rest of the world. They're actively looking for funny stuff and they write it down. So think of it like a happy journal. Remember journal? I don't know if you ever were a man for journaling. I'm guessing possibly not. I wasn't one for keeping no. I've, a diary. You know what? I've I've actually tried. We actually had a really good conversation on the subjects of journaling with uh, a, a Youpreneur member, Richard Tubb from Sunny oh, Blighty. Yeah. Uh, that was episode number two hundred and eighty-two for all you guys tuning in. If you want to check it out, um, I I've tried, but I just haven't been able to hop on that bandwagon properly. I've genuinely tried and there's something inside of me that it just it doesn't work for me but i know it works for a ton of people that's for sure it does i i don't do it but i always meet people who kept a diary in a diary sometimes it's like oh last week i felt sad nobody loves me i ate cake and they're like geez i'm not reading that again it's gonna bring back too much drama but imagine you did that habitually just with happy stuff so even if you're right. at home on a Friday and you're like, I didn't go out. Oh, geez, I have a list of funny memories that I could spark from my whole life at any moment. So that's kind of goal to get into the habit of doing. Start doing it. Because if I say to you right now, tell me a funny story, nine times out of ten, you're going to panic or have nothing. It just doesn't come to mind as fresh as it should. Mm. But when you start whining for it, it's always there, number one. And I would say pick the three to five stories you like telling the best the ones that when you're drunk at a Christmas party somewhere, someone else drunk, they're like, oh, Chris, man, tell us that story. Remember the one to, oh, oh, yeah. we got of that. Tell us that story. 
shoehorn those stories into every talk or presentation you ever give in your whole life, no matter how off topic you think it is, as long as it isn't overly sexual or controversial in any way. But the stories that people repetitively ask you to tell or that you repetitively tell, take those and shoehorn them into every presentation you ever give, at least one of them in every one. And then after you tell them, just say the words, I told you that story because fill in blank. Yeah. So you'll notice the one thing all the leading TED Talks in the world have when you break them down, they're full of short personal stories that yep. on the face would have absolutely nothing got to do right. with what the speakers talk about. Ken yeah. Robinson is the best example of this. 40 million odd views, do schools kill creativity, the name of his talk, and he's telling stories about his kids moving from England to Los Angeles. Nothing to do with the topic. He just likes telling them, but the audience loves listening yeah. to Yeah, and, and that actually is a phenomenal TED Talk. We'll link to that um in in the show notes everyone tuning in and it's funny you say that i mean i remember actually a few years ago i was on stage in vegas at a conference and um i could see i was losing them a little it was right after lunch i hate going on after lunch because everybody's got that carb crash going on don't they you know what i mean like yeah. about 20 minutes they're into your speak they're yeah. in a coma yeah they're in a total <laughs> carb coma right and and Long story short, I saw him, I, I saw that I was losing, I was starting to lose him. So I just started telling this story about how me and one of my buddies, Barry, from back in London, went to New York in the mid '90s for a business conference, and we're both big mafia and mob movie fans, you know, Goodfellas, Casino, all that kind of stuff. So we ended up going on our one free day of the trip to Little Italy in the Bronx and having a an Italian lunch. And you know, there's this whole thing about how we, you know, we I, I thought we were going to get whacked, right? by the you know the mob boss that was clearly the owner of the of the restaurant we were in and all this sort of stuff and obviously some of it's a little bit you know stretched to make it funnier and to throw a couple of one liners in there and things like that but it all very much happened um but I got them back and that's a story and I'm so glad that you bring this up but because that's a story that I have told at many a dinner party at many a you know a, a, a coffee meeting or a networking event or something and it always gets lots of giggles um, and the punchline at the end is always bloody funny and and it and the, brought the, the nice crowd thing back is you into know it. where it is yes. you'll get the crowd back but you know where that punchline is so if right. you know where the audience usually laugh where your friends laugh you have a huge advantage that's about to make your timing look amazing because what all great comedians do and what all great speakers do president obama was amazing for doing it very famed for having good timing and delivery um, he was also the first president to ever read all the speeches from a teleprompter and he had a whole team of comedians punching up what he was writing and they know what you guys all know now that you always go to great lengths to move the key word of your story or the key funny part to the very, very end. So that facilitates the laughter. So if you remember the expression I used at the start of this chat, the end of laughter is followed by the height of listening. Hmm. You don't want to step on that attention with more words. So what comedians will do is they'll always take the funny part and build, 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 and make sure that's the end. And that way, if people laugh, you've facilitated them time to laugh. Because once you make them laugh and you start speaking again, they assume you're going to say something amazing or very right. important. And right. They automatically should have. So right. you've got to be very sensitive to take. And this works if you're ever pitching a business idea and you have, say you have a key metric in there of 80%. So if you're like, 80, we had 80% growth rate year on year. The key part of that statement is 80%. That's the thing that's going to get a VC excited or somebody to invest money in you. You just use the same principle and you move that to the end of the sentence. So you're like, year on year, we had a growth rate of 80%. 
And it just allows people to take stock for a minute. It allows you to pause and be quiet for a second. And they will nearly tweet or write down or you'll create a reaction to your content just by pointing them to what's the important word in the sentence. And comedy goes out of its way to do that backwards and sideways because they know how important it is that you leave people time to laugh. So take those funny stories you have and just structure them in a way that you get to the funny part in the shortest amount of words possible and you make sure the funny part is at the end. I love this stuff. Okay, good. Let's. I want to rewind a minute. You mentioned the importance of pausing and how powerful that can be. I mean, I think as you spend more time, particularly live on stage, but even, I mean, it's tough to get to know when the audience is laughing when you're presenting, say, live on Facebook, right? I mean, yes, you can see yep. comments or little emojis popping up or whatever, but you can only really get this feedback, I feel, if you're live, you know, on a video conference potentially or, you know, ultimately on stage i have become acutely aware of my pauses but i've worked with speaking coaches as well through the years on and off once i feel like if i've got a particularly important talk coming up i'll work for a few hours with a coach on whatever it is that i'm putting together particularly on my delivery and i become very aware of the power of the pause for me particularly after i get laughs uh, or to make very clear points as part of my storytelling Break this down a little bit for us. I mean, like, you're way more of an expert than me on this. Like, how important is the pause to speaking and presenting? You definitely need to give people time to react or take note of something if you want them to take note of it or to laugh if you want them to laugh. So that pause serves nicely to illustrate that. But, I mean, you can save yourself a lot of money on coaching and a lot of time by just writing out what you're about to say. Maybe not every word. Some people don't want to memorize stuff. Some people don't want to work off scripts. But if you have a key story or if you have a key component to your talk that you want a reaction from, write it out and just see can you structure it with the key word at the end. And very so I don't know if you've ever seen John Acuff speaking, and I'll provide some links as well. John's for amazing. To check yeah, out. he's great. Amazing speaker. And he's just sharing, share, you do never want to go on after this man. Like I've been backstage when he was speaking at an event, 4,000 people in the audience, and he is murdering it. And every other speaker's backstage going, oh, no, I'm <laughs> next. I have to go after that. <laughs> right. And all he's doing is short, funny stories. But the funny bit is always the very last word. He had a bit where he was talking about him and his kids getting a cat. And one of his kids said to them, like, he's like, oh, we can't get a cat because your mother's allergic. And then the daughter's like, we can get a cat when mom is dead. <laughs> and, and you're like, all right, that's a bit dark. That's sinister. But that sentence makes no sense until he says the word dead. Right. We can get a cat when mom is. It still could be anything. But by putting the dead as the impact word, the last word, the reaction word, there's a natural pause there where they can laugh their ass off. And oh, if yeah. they don't their ass off and a good tip in in speaking land i would say don't stress about the pauses but just have the key words at the end and if they start laughing shut up and take in the moment and enjoy it and maybe bring a bottle of water with you on stage and if they're laughing their ass off just have a drink and relax and and take in the moment on it mm, mm. now what if they this is i think this is gonna be a good question <laughs> if i may say so myself what if what if they don't laugh what do we do then You've dropped a yeah, joke so, and it's fallen flat. Oh, my gosh. Please suck me up through the floor here. But yeah. what do we do? Yeah, very good question. So most people think when I say, oh, you want to be more engaging, you want to be more humorous in a, in a presentation, they automatically think of a joke. And if you tell a joke, usually you've just 
doubled the amount of risk involved in the success of that because if they know it's a joke and you advertise that it's coming, they're going to be a lot more, the guard is up about laughing. So you lose the element of surprise. It's kind of like if you go on a date with a girl and you're like, right then, it's about time to go home. I'd like to have sex with you now. How do you think that's going to work out? And they're <laughs> right. just like, my my God, that was a bit forward. You sick individual, we're out of here. I mean, it's all over, even though male and female, they might both have that intention. But it's never spoken in comedy. That's the same as a comedian coming out and be like, right, I'm going to try and make you laugh now with some jokes. And you're like, oh, no. Or it's a boss when they call you into your office and they're like, oh, sit down. I've got a great joke for you. And you're like, oh, my God, get me out of here. This is going to be terrible. So if you stick to the storytelling, the funny bit is just at the end of it, as we said. Then if they don't laugh, nothing happens. They didn't know you were trying to be funny. You were just sharing a story. So the most risk-free ever of not enduring the moment that you described is to do that. Just stick with stories and don't ever go with jokes. Stories, stories, stories every time you can. But if they know you were trying to be funny and it didn't work, you just usually use what comedians would call a saving line, which is very much just acknowledging the obvious. And it's one of the easiest ways to get a laugh ever is just vocalize what the audience is thinking. So you could literally just say something like, wow, you guys, you, you just collectively decided, no, that is not funny. And you were very right and they will laugh. Or you can say, well, collectively, you were very sparing with your laughter there. You just <laughs> laugh sparingly. No reaction at all. Look at a one man there. Nope. The slight smirk. And he said, nope, I will not laugh. Moving on. But as right. long as you acknowledge the failed attempt, it's totally fine. And it's nearly always funny. So you're like, well, that was my one and only joke for today. You'll be glad to know. Moving on. <laughs> okay. And they will I'll, laugh. But if you I'll, don't I'll acknowledge keep it strictly the failure I'll it, keep it strictly business from now on, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And they'll laugh. But as long as you acknowledge the inherent failure of something, it's funny. Like if audio visual equipment is not working on stage, it's funny as long as you acknowledge it. And you're like, well, obviously we spent all our money on free beer tonight and not audio visual equipment. Right. Um, but And then everyone will be fine with it. So, you know, as an event organizer yourself, you know these things. Like I ran one in, one in New York. And we gave them free Mexican beer and then we had free burritos and tacos and Mexican food. And then we ran out of toilet paper. That does not sound like a good combination to most people. And they were not too excited about it. But as long as we came out and acknowledged it, we're like, hey, guys, sorry about that. Uh, we gave you the fine Mexican beer and Mexican food. And then we hid the toilet paper. Mm -hmm. uh, not cool. But sorry, listen, we just ran out. They're working really hard to resolve it. There'll be some there in a minute. Don't stress. And it didn't turn up on the evaluations and nobody even mentioned it again. So there just acknowledging the obvious is one of the easiest laughs you'll ever get. And staying away from visible jokes and telling stories to just happen to be funny are your two best approaches to that one. Yeah, love this. Okay, good stuff. Let's talk more a little bit about delivery um, <clears throat> and maybe a little bit about just preparation uh, in regards to putting your talk together and, and knowing where to kind of pepper in those funny stories. Can you elaborate on that and, and the importance of that? Yeah, sure. Um, I wouldn't stress too much on delivery. It's funny. It'd be nearly like a comedian going on TV and say they had like in America a late night spot on Conan O'Brien when you do your five minutes of comedy is kind of as good as it gets when you're an up and coming comedian as a mm -hmm. spot, even mm -hmm. an established one. And if you focused on delivery, they'd be like, well, what are you going to say tonight for five minutes? And you're like, I don't know, but I'm going to move my hands very nicely and make eye contact with people in the front row. And they'd be like, oh God, you're screwed. <laughs> what material are you going to say? <laughs> what are you going to use? And I think in the world of public speaking, 
sadly, when it's being taught by a lot of people out there that have been trained to train you as opposed to clock up their 10,000 hours on stage. I think always focus on content over delivery until you're getting paid to speak. And then you can start messing around with delivery a little bit and looking at some of your techniques. But I would say I'm putting together a talk, realize what you're going to say, try and strip it down to three key messages. Sadly, Irish people can't pronounce the number three, but it's always very key in public speaking. It's the most memorable pattern, right. the shortest pattern your mind can recognize as a pattern, basically. And it's also the key to all things funny because humor is always one, two, four. Apples, apples, orange, basically. So if you're ever going to make a change in that sequence, it has to be the last element because that allows the reaction time. But I would say try and structure your talk around three key elements. Try and write your closing line first and try and link your start to your finish. So you really want it to feel book ended. So if you can start in the action with a story that makes some sort of loose point and leads into your topic, because that puts you as ease a lot as a speaker and try and find analogies for all the strong points that you make so that you're sure everybody in the room will understand it and try and leave them with three key action points and do not finish no matter what on questions and answers. Um, and that's the easiest way to look pretty polished as a speaker because the speakers was all been stood there at least once where someone's like, any questions for the speaker? And you're just standing there like a complete lemon going, right. oh God. Right. But if, if you just say, as you approach the end of your talk, I'm going to take a few questions before I make my conclusion. That way, they know to be a bit brief in their questions, but you also know you have your strong conclusion to make, which hopefully is going to remind them of the three key learning elements. And that way, you always get a strong round of applause because the audience knows it's over. During questions and answers, they don't know when you're finished. So often right. you'll walk off to no applause. And that will be caught on video and it gives the organizer, event organizer, a bit of a challenge because they want to publish video where you get a strong round of applause at the end. It looks better for everybody, but they often don't have it because of the Q&A finish. So it's a bit like a band touring around the world. Like they're never gonna release a new album and tour it and get to Madison Square Garden and get to the very last song on the album and be like, all right, we were gonna play our last song, but actually, does anyone here wanna bring us home? Like, can anyone sing <laughs> right. or play an instrument? Wouldn't make any sense. So, but, so this gives you a huge peace of mind as a speaker if you know, all right, I have a story. I'm gonna save the close to the story for my conclusion slide to really give them that feeling of completion, kind of like you get out of a movie. But you also know I'm gonna leave them with my three key takeaways before I off as a little reminder. And if there's no questions, no stress, because I have a saver there. I have this extra slide coming mm. or two slides, whatever it takes you to make your closing. So I'd say just try and structure it like that. The more personal stories you can get in there, the better. The more analogies you can get in there, the better. And try and go out of your way to tie the start to the end and write the closing words first. Brilliant. Love it. Okay, final question. You mentioned slides there a few times in that in, in, in that reply, which I think, I mean, we, we, we could have almost ended this, this conversation on that, everyone. But I'm going to get one more, one more little nugget here. How important are slides? when it comes to directly being funny like i mean i've seen some people that use them really really well but some people have used them and they've just bombed horrifically i mean what's your advice in regards to slides being funny being memorable etc yeah slides are a massive advantage you have over someone with no slides and being funny because you can use gifs and images and animated videos so you can play already socially proven funny content and you're, if you look at Ken Robinson's talk, like we mentioned already, 
Um, does he use other people's content? He doesn't. Amy Cuddy does, who's one of the top 10 most viewed talks ever as well. So she plays actually two British comedians. You remember David Baddiel and Frank Skinner? Of course, yes, yes. Very good sketch. And again, I'll send you the link to this so you have it with your show notes. But again, it's a hilarious viral video made by comedians. It's already funny. And all she does is show it. And you'll see her talk is about body language. It actually changes her own body language when everyone laughs at the reaction of that. And she kind of calms into the talk and it only gets better from there. I'd say it's a big advantage. Definitely use it, but treat whatever the funny image item is as the punchline. Mm. So where this makes people look a bit silly is where they're like, look at that. And they just put up a picture of a sheep and they're like, look at it. It's a sheep. It's funny, isn't it? And you're like, well, I, I guess. I don't know. And then they try and make a funny comment based on the image. Whereas when you're about to use an image of a sheep, say, for example, I don't know why I'm going all sheepy here in Irish. <laughs> I do apologize to anyone listening to this. You are, you are an, a strong Irishman after all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I couldn't come up with a better animal, more fearsome animal than a sheep. But the sheep's coming. If I say I was an emotional mess at the time I launched this book, how I felt inside was a bit like this. And it's just a photo of a panicked sheep. But you'll notice you're building up the anticipation the same way you would with the last word being at the end, the same way we had with that 80% grow rate year on year, becoming grow rate of 80%. The key bit is at the end and you build up that expectation and then you change the flip. So like I said, the key to all things comedy is one, two, four. It's an altered sequence of three elements. So in that sequence, I'm multiplying the numbers at the end. In showing images as your presentation, you want to build it up like they think you're going in one direction and then flip it a little bit. So you want to build the anticipation to revealing that image or video and then let that be the funny thing, not what you say. So what you say about the funny image is a tagline. So in the world of comedy, that's a line that's less of a laugh after the main funny item and just treat it like that. So where people go wrong is they treat the funny image as it's going to be funny enough in its own by just showing it. But how you set it up and that flip of expectations has a massive impact to how funny it's going to be. Mm, I love it. Okay, what a what a great conversation, David. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I feel like we could have gone on for a little bit longer. I often say that with guests on this show, which always proves to me that I'm getting smart, engaging people on the show. So uh, hats off to I me. I don't know how sl- I slipped up through the crack. <laughs> I was I was going to say hats off to me for being so great and great and getting such great guests on but no I mean sincerely though I mean like I think you know you're onto something here with what you do with your company with you know funny biz and the conference and the book and all the rest of it that you do I mean there's something in this other than just the business model and a way for you to make money you're genuinely providing us a very important service, I think, to people, particularly youpreneur-type folks who are wanting to become the go-to leader in their industry. To be a go-to leader, you've got to be engaging. You've got to be motivating and inspiring. And I think also you've got to be funny. I mean, I have no problems at all in in putting humor into what I do because it's part of me. It's part of my personality. And I think yeah. that... Um, you know, I would be a complete fraud if I didn't do it. I mean, I'm all about building a business around you, right? So if, if I held back on that. Exactly. Well, um, plus you're English. You know. You've got to be used to having jokes made at your own expense. So there has to be humor in there. <laughs> all day long. It never stops. <laughs> on Twitter, on Instagram, at home, it never stops. You're absolutely right. Um, all right, David, thank you very much for coming on. Um, it was great to spend time with you. I can't wait for us to actually meet in person. I think we're going to become very fast friends. 
It will happen soon, but yeah, most welcome. Great speaking with you. All right, good stuff. For you guys tuning in, want to know a little bit more about David, we're going to have show notes uh, and links to everything over at chrisducker.com forward slash episode 297. The book, if you want to get a fast track on that, is entitled Do You Talk Funny? Pick it up on Amazon. It's a great read, and I thoroughly suggest that you uh, follow David if this is something that you're all about and you want to start taking it a little bit more seriously. We'll be back here again next week with another episode of the show. Until then, take good care, be kind to each other, and I'll talk to you soon. So I've got a quick question for you. What are you doing November 3rd through to the 5th later this year? Nothing? Good, because we'd love to host you at the annual Youpreneur Summit Conference taking place in London over that very weekend. You're going to get the chance to learn from the best expert speakers in the world, network with them up close, meet and get to know hundreds of other Youpreneurs, as well as devise a plan of attack to grow your business faster than ever before, all over the course of just one weekend. For more info and to secure your place, just visit youpreneursummit.com and tickets are limited. So don't hang around. Do it today. That's youpreneursummit.com. I'll see you there.